We would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we are back to full strength. Yes. Alton, welcome back. Oh, man, you guys, it's just, uh, I just, it's been so hard. It's been so quiet. You didn't call. You didn't write. Oh, we're the worst. I just stranded in the void. It's already bad enough in the weeks between recording, but, you know, when you send me away for that long, it just, the punishment does not match the crime. Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) I have no sympathy for you. Being a gamma, sorry. Uh Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, uh, it's it's awesome that, that Alton is back. I, you know, I, to be fair, just before this, I had a really good conversation with someone about hockey, which I love. Which is why I threw out, you know, when you're at a hockey game and your team's, you know, the player in the penalty box comes out, they always yelled, "Now we're back to full strength." So I just had to throw that in there. That was beautiful, and I felt it. I was yeah. more like, I was more like, now we have all the lion bots together. Now we can form Voltron. Well, I mean, it almost works that way too, you know. It does. We can now, you know, we can pull together our, you know, our, our zords and create the, uh, the <laughs> or you know, or the lion to create Voltron. Um, we definitely can't do the the vehicle Voltron because we don't have we don't have like thirty people involved. It's only yeah, it's only thirty two people. Uh, only 32 uh, but there is that one. Uh, voltron mark one was three robots yep that stacked yep yeah however Man, you guys are such nerds i know <laughs> oh, nerd <laughs> got him uh, burn sick burn bro oh, oh thanks but anyways um we've we've got a great topic we're going to be talking about some great stuff we also hinted that we're going to be doing a new format so we're going to start that tonight uh, and that format is basically we're going to talk about some geek news stuff and then we'll transition to our main topic. And then we're going to wrap it up with some uh, some gaming advice, which, you know, in the past we called the Gamer Forge. We'll probably keep that name for now, whether we change it or not. That's up in the air. But yeah, it's something that's always kind of been the bread and butter of of this show is, you know, talking about gaming things and, and the geek news component. So with that. I think it is time to introduce the Dungeon Crawler's Bulletin. First and foremost, Mr. Krebs, what's going on in the film world? Oh my gosh. In film and video games, it's just been going nuts lately. Uh, Even with things like the transistor shortage, we're still getting tons of video game news. In fact, uh, it, it seems like we're finally like getting the spring back from the from you know the void that the pandemic created. First of all, recently PlayStation held a state of play, and in that state of play, it was entirely gameplay from the hotly anticipated Hogwarts Legacy. This is the Harry Potter open world RPG that is intended as a single player narrative, uh, single player full story experience. I think there might be multiplayer aspects in it, but they did not expose those during this state of play. What they did show though, was character customization and casting spells and flying on brooms and exploring the world of Hogwarts, not just the, not just the castle or the campus, but everything outside of that. In fact, they went through the books and they found locations that were not in the movies and they expanded upon those as well. The game is utterly gigantic. And uh, if you're like me, and you love large open world games, but you have zero taste for GTA stuff, this is the game you've been waiting for. Hogwarts Legacy. Uh, I, they promise it'll come out holiday this 
year, which is a big promise. I'm a little skeptical. I think it's going to get pushed to March or February of next year, but we'll see. Next, we have Cameron Monaghan, the actor who played Cal Kestis in Jedi Fallen Order. He took a trip to Disneyland and he went and built his own custom lightsaber, posed with it, posted it on social media. Go check it out. Lots of pictures everywhere of him. Avatar, the next, the last airbender on Netflix, has an, uh, one of the actors has come out and announced that the first season will be eight one-hour episodes. We will get pretty much you know, the standard streaming series fare in that regard, but one-hour episodes eight episodes total. There is still not a release date for it, but man, oh man, the stuff coming out of the studio is looking pretty tight. And then finally, I found a a little article that made me chuckle a bit. Sherlock, starring Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman, has been moved from the BBC channel and has found a new home on the streaming service, Crackle. Crackle of all of all services that landed on Crackle and Crackle made some comment about like uh, our users have come to expect just the highest caliber of content to which I immediately replied, do they do they but Crackle now has Sherlock. So if you're curious where to watch that, it's not on Netflix, not on BBC. You can go to Crackle for that or buy it on Prime like a real human being. You guys are awesome. I'm going to toss the torch over to Alton. Now, I really, really quick before we pass on, I do have to say, okay, the uh, Hogwarts legacy reveal very nearly convinced my wife to go buy a PS5 until I pointed out to her that despite the fact that it was only being revealed on the PlayStation channel, it was probably going to be cross-platform. They just announced it's also going to be on the Switch. And my reply was, but I want to play it on a real system. Oh, you know, that's that's real mean of you, Krebs. I was more referring to the master race that is the Xbox. Um, in <laughs> fact, I now finally have the justification and the go-ahead from my wife to go ahead and splurge on my uh, new Xbox Series X. So if you want help with that. that, I can help you with that. Ooh, we should talk about that. But uh, as you mentioned, there is a lot of news going on in the world of gaming, board gaming, etc., and oh man, even Kickstarters. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Asmodee alongside Dark Horse Comics uh, were both recently acquired by an investment company. Uh, we don't expect that that's really gonna impact much about the way that they do business, at least for the immediate future, uh, though it does shed some uh, light on the wisdom that was Asmodee spending the last six years feverishly buying up every single possible publisher that they could the people who were in charge of those acquisitions have probably made out like bandits. Um, But moving on beyond that, uh, another interesting move from the industry and dungeon crawlers, I'm going to need you to go out and, you know, be kind, but be vocal about this. Uh, Avalon Hill, which is one of the brands owned under the Wizards of the Coast umbrella by Hasbro, has decided that they are no longer going to sell through distribution. They will only engage in direct sales to customers, meaning that your friendly local game store will no longer be able to stock some of your favorites like Betrayal at House on the Hill, which is about to receive a new third edition, Robo Rally, which is uh, supposedly had a new edition or at least upgraded components in the works for quite some time. And most notably, they announced this immediately after they announced that they were going to do a general run of Hero Quest, which is something that I have gotten tons of requests for four yeah. months. And uh, as it turns out, Avalon Hill has just decided that, you know, everybody deserves to pay MSRP. 
So uh, there's also a limit as to how many copies you can purchase at a time, ostensibly in an effort to stop scalping, I guess, uh, but the maximum that you can purchase at a time is two. So if you see one of these newer editions on your game store shelf and it looks really expensive, it's because it is. Your game That's store had to pay a whole bunch extra, but you can do your part. Please, 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 please get in touch with Watsi and Avalon Hill. Make it known that this is really not a great move. It's not a great look. Um, most notably, they were also absent at Gamma this year. Um, just decided not to come. I think that they've finally decided that they're bigger than the rest of the industry. I don't mean that in the attacking aggressive way, but uh, they've realized that you know, they're big enough. People know who they are. They can sell direct. They don't feel that they need to include the rest of the ecosystem and play nice. Uh, it is their prerogative, but it's not the way I would do business. And a lot of these classic games that people have come to know and love because of their local game stores are probably going to be inaccessible to a whole generation of people if they continue down this path. This honestly hurts my heart for our friends in the game store industry. It really does. Hmm. Uh, now, uh, Two really big Kickstarters, uh, one that probably touches on something that Dan's going to talk about in just a minute. Yes, Brandon Sanderson's Kickstarter is still going. Smoking strong. hot. Holy cow. I seem to remember that it was like just broke 30 million or something like that. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's over 32 at this point. Okay, yeah, see, like it's not even, uh, I, I can't spin my wheel fast enough. Um, but the other big Kickstarter that came out, a Magic the Gathering YouTube channel called Tolarian Community College, who started back in 2012, <laughs> primarily reviewing deck boxes and other gaming accessories. In fact, teamed up with Gamegenic to produce what he calls the Academic 133 Plus XL. Um, now, the interesting thing is that it is a modification of an existing product, which is something that a lot of people didn't realize, myself included, until uh, one of the people at my store actually pointed it out to me. Um, but nevertheless, I actually think that I prefer the form factor that he's chosen. And so does the general public. Uh, it's already a million and a half dollars strong, Dang. which is phenomenal for what is a relatively small YouTube channel. Uh, but people just can't get enough. Um, unfortunately, because of the negotiations, uh, with GameGenic, they also did not include a retailer level. Uh, but if you really appreciate the professor and what he does and want to support part of the community, highly recommend that you go check that out. Um, I've picked up a couple. I'm, I'm looking forward to them arriving. And beyond that, lots of cool new things coming out of Gamut. We'll probably talk about that in a future episode, but I hear that you should keep your ears to the ground for new dice and new products coming out from Die Hard Dice, who I may or may not work for. Um, <laughs> cool things coming. So, you know, and, uh, the good news about them is that they do work with local game stores. So go <laughs> pester your local game store and say, Hey, we need diehard dice in our life. Dan, what's going yeah. on in the world of story? I mean, so I, I've got some really fun stories, you know, uh, as you've already hinted at Brandon Sanderson's, uh, Kickstarter has definitely taken a lot of notice. You know, they originally launched it with a, a pledge goal of a million dollars. It, it currently, with seven days to go, is at $32,461,150, which is massive. It is, it is the highest grossed Kickstarter of all time now. And I know a lot of people are out there like, well, you know, Brandon's found the secret. And really, Brandon hasn't found a secret. The, the, the secret here is Brandon Sanderson delivers a well-written product. Yes. And because of that, Without knowing what the story is, 
or what is the content of these books, people are willing to throw money at it. And it's because they know if they get a Brandon Sanderson book that it will be good. And because I, I know everyone's talking about this, like, wow, Brandon's found this new secret to indie publishing. No, he hasn't. It's just Brandon delivers a good product. So people are willing to spend the money with all with only secret project as the title. I know, right? They don't know anything beyond that. And he's got fanatics too. Right? And yeah. I mean that in the, in the kindest sense, it really is true fans who are just yeah. fanatical about what he does. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the other thing, you know, he's got all the fans of his series. He's got all the fans of Robert Jordan's will of time series because he finished that up. And again, he writes a good story. That's what really it is. I mean, any other company out there that has delivered a great product says, Hey, we're going to do this product. Kickstart us. They're going to get the money. That money's going to come in. Um, and, you know, and, and I know Brandon's being extremely humble about this. This is, you know, more than gone beyond his wildest dreams, um, which, you know, again, shows that humility. Um, but, I, you know, I, I'm happy for him and his team. And, you know, Dragon still is going to do amazing stuff with this. Uh, jumping to my other stories. Uh, this one's kind of a funny one. Um, so uh, the assistant principal was fired for reading a children's book, um, which, hmm. yeah. So basically there was a guest that was supposed to, that was scheduled to show up to, to read uh, to second graders over zoom. Um, they didn't show. And so uh, Toby price, the assistant principal at a Mississippi elementary school improvised. He jumped in, read the book. Um, now the book is titled, I need a new butt. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, Strong is, start. Yeah. Yeah. He, he picked up one of these children's books. It was written by Don McMillan and illustrated by Ross Kinnard. It's a really funny book, but because of that, people got really upset and he ended up getting fired. Oh my gosh. This, this is a kid's book for crying out loud. Why in the heck <clears throat> do we have people, you know, the students thought it was hilarious. You know, this vice principal stepped in, did his job, and yet we have parents screaming at the superintendents uh, over him. And, you know, he was placed on administrative leave at first and then fired. This is ridiculous. This is a children's book. Obviously, it's not something inappropriate. A publisher's gone through it. They put it out. And come on. I need a new butt. That's hilarious. That it, is hysterical. I'm kind of curious. It Go is on. ridiculous that this guy got fired over reading something like this. Now, Dan, I, I, I may have to warn the viewers out there. We, we didn't get to the, uh, the censor in time. So if you heard Dan say the word but repeatedly in the last two minutes, I do apologize deeply but, on behalf of all but, of our hey, listeners. But, but, but I got I, I to finish my story. About well, yes. a new butt. <laughs> Please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I may have to say butt a few times. Um, no, just kidding. Um, my final story, um, and this was announced. Um, so after, after opening its first bookstore with much fanfare on November 3rd of 2015, uh, this week Amazon has confirmed, uh, based on a report from Reuters, that it's, it will be closing all of its physical bookstores. Whoa as well as all as its four-star and pop-up stores. Um, so Amazon is closing shop um, wow. with their physical locations. So 
Um, you know, not a big surprise. I mean, Amazon is pretty much the, a powerhouse online, and and I'm pretty sure they found that it's just too costly to have these bookstores open, um, and it's easier for them to push traffic through their online avenues, and they don't have that overhead. I don't know, um, but it is definitely confirmed that they are closing those. So it's about 68 stores um, that they'll be closing, and 24 of them are their actual physical bookstore locations. Interesting. That is, that is honestly surprising. Yeah. To, a, to a certain degree, but it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with Avalon Hill going direct to consumer as opposed to having brick and mortar distribution. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, yep. with that, gentlemen, thank you so much for participating in the first in a series of things that at least for today, we're calling Dungeon Crawlers Bulletin. We'll see what we call it next week. And Dungeon Crawlers, we want to know what news has been crawling across your feed. Please hit us up on the Discord server. Tell us what news matters to you. Thank you very much, Mr. Krebs. Now, with that, I think it's time that we transition into the meat of this episode. The thing that everyone has come here for, the thing that goes bump in the night and bump in the box office, the Batman. Vengeance, the movie. I am vengeance. You know, I was a little disappointed in that one, but that's okay. I can still do it. Well, that's okay. With that this evening, though, a a disclaimer to all of the people out there. We may talk about some story elements, some spoilery things. Uh, We'll do our best to warn you before they come up. Um, But if you are waiting to see this, you know, uh, do your best to jump around. We'll give you good warnings when we can, at least when we remember. Um, Other major disclosure here, two of the three people on this call have in fact seen the film. One of us, that's me, has not. And that's why I'm the guy asking the questions. And so with that, gentlemen, are you ready? Super duper duper ready. Okay, so. Can I ask a little? No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So with that, the, the first question, probably the one that is the least story related, but is definitely on everybody's mind. How, how, did, our, how did our boy Edward do as the bat? <laughs> boy Edward. Can I jump on that one? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to jump on that first because I had the most reservation with this movie because Robert Pattinson was cast as Batman because every time I, I've seen him, I just see Edward from from twilight i'll admit that and i know he's trying to break away from that um so i was very hesitant and i was kind of like yeah i don't want to see this movie i don't want to see this movie but i went and saw this movie and there are a few moments brief moments as bruce wayne it kind of like oh no edward but then it, it flutters away um I think he did a fantastic job. I now have a much better respect for Robert Pattinson as an actor. Uh, he pulled it off very well. And so much so, and I'm putting my stamp of approval, I have to buy this movie. Oh. Ooh. Ooh. So then I got to throw it over to Krebs for kind of a, a follow-up part two to that. Yes, what is your opinion? But also, what do you think that uh, Mr. Pattinson executed really well in this film? I'm glad that you asked that. First of all, I will, I was, I I was definitely in that camp of twilight movies are the worst movies and I still do not enjoy them without riff tracks behind them. Shout out to riff tracks. This episode, not endorsed by riff tracks. Uh, But 
I also have come to realize that both Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson are consummately talented, excellent actors. They were just excellent actors doing their job in a poorly written, poorly directed series of movies. Um, and then I see, I've seen Robert Pattinson in other things since. Uh, one notably that comes to, I mean, you got Tenet, where I thought he did a brilliant job with an incredibly chaotic and difficult storyline to pull off, uh, and which he did brilliantly, by the way. And then he was also in The King with Timothy Cholomé. Uh, and he was, he was in there just briefly, and he was exceptional while affecting a French accent. He was just brilliant. So when I saw him in this movie, I was, I was, optimistic. I was optimistic that it would go well. I thought he did a fantastic job in the following respects. First, the uh, he did a he did an excellent job of being Batman the detective as opposed to Batman the vigilante who beats people up. He gets to have some of that too, but it's very raw. Do you guys remember seeing Casino Royale where yeah. where Daniel Craig came out and it was his first Boston Bond movie? Balls. <laughs> yeah, he's breaking through. He was very raw, unrefined. He still had those Bond qualities, but he was obviously in the junior years of his persona, right? Mm -hmm. That is Robert Pattinson as Batman. Second, uh, to the point that Daniel made, when he was Bruce Wayne, it was uncomfortable. But not just for me, the audience member. The reason it was uncomfortable for me is because it was uncomfortable for him. One of the premises, one of the premises that often goes through... Um, pontification on com you know uh, comic book pontiffs commentary is that uh batman is the true identity and bruce wayne is the disguise yeah. and in this movie that i felt that more in this film than i did in any of the previous what is it uh eight batman movies uh prior or seven prior to this one yeah. and yeah, like when he was Bruce Wayne, he was uncomfortable in his skin. And I loved it when I realized what was going on. Yeah, I mean, the really good thing about this this film, it's set like his second year. He's still becoming mm. new to the role. Um, and I loved they had so many Easter eggs from Batman year one, that, mm -hmm. that uh, comic line or, or trade paperback. Um, it was I mean, I was just watching him like, oh, my gosh, that's a reference to year one. That's a reference. And there's like so many Easter eggs. You can look them up and you can go back and watch it. And it's like it's amazing how Matt Reed inserted that in. But the, the best thing that I really like is that he wanted an imperfect Batman. And that's what we got. He still made mistakes. He, oh, yeah. He, he wasn't he, he wasn't the Batman we know. He's still learning. And you're right. You know, he was very uncomfortable as bruce wayne you know i you know in the the christopher nolan ones you know there's a, a comment where she's like no this bruce wayne is your mask this is your your yeah. um they didn't put that in this one but that's what they showed well, yeah they showed they didn't tell yeah no um the the final speech that he gives at the very end oh my gosh is so it was like it was so poignant to anyone going through difficult times I'm just like, wow, that is a really good thing for anyone that's going through depression or anyone that's mm -hmm. struggling with anxiety, anyone that's just having a really bad time. It's so poignant, no matter where you're at in your life, it, that works. Um, you and know, I like that. Even before you mentioned that, which now I have to go watch it because I have an extreme interest in, in mental health and helping people who are in those kinds of situations, often mm -hmm. finding myself in them. Uh, yeah. I, one of the things that has often bothered me 
about portrayals of Batman is exactly the thing that you seem to say is being well executed in this film. Okay. If my parents were insanely rich and I saw them murdered in the alley Mm -hmm. and then I'm somehow just supposed to like take over and manage their wealth and grow this company and do all these things you bet your bottom i would be uncomfortable as hell would you need a new butt yeah very likely i would need a new butt (laughs) but uh but it definitely like i I, I, how uncomfortable would that be to finally come of age right and everybody is just looking at you to to just take up the mantle and at this point your parents have been gone for like what eight ten years Mm -hmm. and and you're just supposed to be them somehow right well, like that's got to be awful. This is this is something else I really liked uh, uh, about the film is Martha and Thomas Wayne are not perfect. You know, mm, in the yeah. comics, they're always built up as these perfect individuals that they're flawless. And, you know, they, they died in a back alley from some random thing in this story. It's not that, you know, uh, Martha has a has a past. And Thomas tries to do something to solve that and confides in someone that he probably shouldn't have. And that person takes things a little too far. And then because Thomas is like, whoa, no, you know, other things happen to cause that death. Um, Mm -hmm. And Bruce finds this out and you see this unwinding of his character. Um, You know, I I didn't think I was going to like Andy Serkis as Alfred. You're jumping ahead. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Okay. Uh, but right. I loved it. I loved it. And not only that, I loved how imperfect he was. That is the thing that I love the most about this mm-hmm. film is they weren't perfect. I mean, most mm-hmm. often we see superheroes and they're perfect. They, you know, they're yeah, in everything they do. It's, it's perfect for the story, the setting. But this wasn't. Everything yeah. had you know, was imperfect. Batman was imperfect. Alfred was his Batman's parents or Bruce's parents were, Mm -hmm. but everything connected in a well written and executed story. So now that you've jumped ahead immediately to the second question on my list, thanks for that ruining all (laughs) of my suspense. But uh, you know, that was one of the other names in here that I was very curious to see. Um, I don't want to get super deep into like all of the villains and things. I just want to be careful to avoid as many necessary plot points uh, course, as possible. Course. But seeing Andy Serkis as Alfred, now there's not a question in my mind. Andy Serkis is an extremely talented actor. Supremely. Okay? Don't even like, don't misinterpret what I'm saying at all. However, as somebody who is not super deep into film, okay. I can't recall seeing Andy Serkis in like a guardian role per se. He's definitely been on the side of good a lot of times. And he definitely has played like supportive sidekicky characters, but I've never seen him in an actual like guardianship role. Right. How do you, and I'll send this over to Krebs. How do you feel he, he pulled that off? I mean, Dan clearly says he's imperfect, but did he end up filling those very large, well-polished shoes? I think that the gift of Andy Serkis is what I would refer to as like empathic projection, right? Like he has such an excellent talent for emoting externally the feelings that are brewing inside of him. I saw him once in um, in like a 
crime drama on the BBC. And this was like right around the time when he was first becoming famous as Gollum. So this is like early in his fame, if you will. Uh, But he had to play uh, a junkie rock star who was still a rock star at the time, whose child had died. And he spent more than half, he spent like 70% of the episode just in the throes of despair and just like weeping and like ugly crying and snot coming out of his nose and mouth. I mean, like he was just, he was genuinely distraught. And that's what makes a great actor is when you're genuine. I, I often say, use the joke, it ain't acting if it's real. And that's Andy Circus. He's real about everything. And so when he's there as a guardian, uh, you get that sense of, I don't know if you guys saw the Gotham series, but you had another British actor and he took on the role of Alfred where Alfred had a scrappy thuggish past and had like reeled that in as the Waynes kind of improved his life and helped him get out of a bad situation. This Alfred reminded me of that Alfred. He obviously has seen things. He's been through stuff, but he is an excellent um, conciliary, and he is a protector of Bruce, even when Bruce won't protect himself. Dan, yeah. do you have anything to add on top of that? No, I agree. Um, he definitely is that. You know, um, he's not the kind of formal butler that we've seen in some of the comics. Um, I do like um, where he's more of the gruff protector. You know, he's been in the military. He's doing his best. I mean, there is a wonderful line in the film where he's like i you know he's never had children and this yeah. was thrust upon him and he did the best he could to protect bruce um and you know i i love that raw moment because you know he's it's true you know he, he's never had children of his own and he 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 loved martha and thomas and he was put in this role that he never believed he would ever have to be in but he still took it on knowing that he did not have the tools to to do it. You know, this is the most foster father I've ever seen Alfred. Oh yeah. And I, and I loved it. He really was Bruce's father in this one and not just like a facsimile or a placeholder. He was the real deal. Yeah. And the other component to to the story that I like is, you know, you have Bruce, there's an event that happens and you have Bruce, there and he's looking at Alfred and he's like, you know, I, I, I'm, I have no fear when I'm out on the streets. He's like, but I don't want to ever feel that fear again. Like I did with my parents. And I just felt with you, like you really feel that Bruce loves and cares for Alfred. Absolutely. So he is afraid to lose him. as bad. Just as much as his parents. Um, which I felt was really powerful because it's always been this weird, like, you know, it's Bruce and Alfred doing this thing together. Um, this really made it show like they, it, they are a team, <clears throat> you know, with Batman wouldn't be anything without uh, Alfred, neither would Bruce. Um, and Bruce needs that backup. And, and that's kind of what Alfred is. He's kind of that counterpoint. To, to Bruce's darkness and inner demons, just trying to pull him back in the light. And we kind of saw that with Jeremy Irons a little bit um, mm-hmm. in the Justice League movies, but I think we see it more clearer here. Yeah, very cool. Now, one of the other characters that often goes a little bit unappreciated, but actually plays in many situations a very important narrative role, especially in these bigger films where sometimes we need a B plot or we need a side view or things like that. Um, is Commissioner Gordon. 
who are, and this one is Jeffrey Wright. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So, um, and, and, you know, maybe, maybe he may or may not play a really particularly large role in this film. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet, but what did you feel of his particular take on commissioner Gordon? Uh, he plays a very large role in the film. Um, you know, I really enjoyed his version of commissioner Gordon. Uh, uh, to be clear, I, I think he's primarily Lieutenant Gordon during the, is, oh, excuse right? me yet. He isn't commissioner yet. Um, but you can, you can see, I think he is by the end. Um, but yeah. you can see that, that spirit, that quality in him, which, um, is the reason he's commissioner Gordon in later. Uh, I mean, you, in the, the film opens up with him walking in with the Batman on a crime scene oh. and everyone's like, why are you letting this guy in here? He's like, well, no, no, he's with me. I mean, like, he's already <laughs> defending, you know, the Batman, um, and I really liked how they opened that up because it's really showing, okay, there's something here and he knows that he needs his help. He's working outside the lines because of how corrupt Gotham is. And you really get to feel that in the beginning. Um, and he, there's multiple parts where it's like, yeah, they have this conversation. We're working together. We're, we're, you know, we have this goal. Um, and there, there's even a point where he calls, you know, Batman out like, no, this isn't the way, this isn't the way to do it. You know, because he's, you know, the bat, Batman wakes up and he's surrounded by a bunch of cops that just want to beat the crap out of him, take his mask off. And he's ready to throw down. But Gordon's there and like, no, this isn't the way. Um, so I think he did a fantastic job. The voice was there. He, he had the mustache. He had kind of the persona just radiated from him in, in my mind. Yeah. And for me, like, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about what are the like, what, what's the deeper meaning or like the deeper value of each of these characters, right? And for me, Commissioner Gordon, uh, while he's a man who takes risks, he's first and foremost a man of faith. And what I mean by that is not necessarily religious, but he, he has such an excellent uh, barometer for what is good and what is evil. Yeah. And he knows if he just puts enough faith in the Batman, the Batman will do the things that the police can't or won't somewhere between law and corruption, they're hamstrung, but commissioner Gore or Lieutenant Gordon maintains the faith. And it's often faith. The Batman needs to fuel him on his way without Gordon. I don't know that Batman would be able to do all that he's able to do. Right. I think there would be a deficit. And so yeah. for me, Gordon is a man of faith. He represents faith. Uh, yeah. And uh, while Batman represents uh, self-sacrifice, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. even, even to a fault, but that's what he represents to me. Yeah. I mean, and thank you guys for answering well on that because, uh, as, as fans of the show may know, right. I, I am not always the biggest fan of Batman or really most of the DC multiverse. It's, it's just not always been my thing. Um, however, uh, there have been a few different instances where I have particularly loved Batman. Um, and in all of those instances, I realized as I was thinking about this show, it's been because he's been countered by a really good commissioner Gordon. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, in, in my mind, like kind of the, the, the narrative impetus that commissioner Gordon plays is uh, two parts. The first is the gate, right? He is the permission yeah, he's to the cross gate. the line. Yeah, he yeah. is the guy who flips on the bat signal that says, hey, we really need help that's beyond us. But he's also the one who 
you know, instills legitimacy in some of what Batman's doing. But the second is that very important note that you called out, which is he is the faith that says Batman's not going to go too far. And even if he did, he can come back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Additionally, I mean, everyone knows the trailer uh, moment where Batman says he is vengeance, right? And I think that's pretty accurate. A lot of what he does is fueled by revenge, uh, you know, um, either vicariously or directly. But Gordon is justice. Gordon knows Batman can do what needs to be done or what can't be done by the police, but he always guides it back to justice every time. Yeah, I mean, there's there's one really poignant scene of that, you know, uh, towards yeah. the end of the movie, when Batman, he's angry, he's just pummeling this bad guy. And, you know, Gordon walks in and yells at him. And it stops him in his tracks. Um, so I, I really like the counterbalance. Um, it's definitely not all Batman. There are definitely Gordon is there. You know, we got Alfred there. There are multiple facets that are you know, pulling Bruce in different ways to help keep him balanced so that he doesn't fall to the dark side and become the very thing that he's fighting against. Uh, you, you got Alfred with love, you've got faith with Gordon, um, you know, and Gordon being the gatekeeper that allows him to be able to do the things he does. Cause if it wasn't for Gordon, all the police would be after him. I mean, yeah. you clearly see that. And it's Gordon that's holding the police at bay saying, we need him. We need someone because Gotham is so corrupt. We need someone to step outside the lines. He's not going to cross this line, this line of killing anyone, but we need someone to go a little bit further than we can go uh, to give us the leverage we need to do our jobs. And he executes it well. Oh, interesting. Um, Now this next one, I want to be very, very careful about because I don't want to give away too much, but there are a number of classic Batman antitheticals, villains and otherwise, right? Uh, That exist in this film. And again, because there's probably some accidental plot points that might be revealed, we're just going to go really simple. Yes. Okay. Overall, did they deliver on the uniqueness and the promise of their characters? (laughs) I'll let Krebs go, but I definitely want to jump on this. Okay. Go ahead, Daniel. Okay. Okay. I'll go. Um, I think they did an excellent job with the villains. My, my favorite villain in this is actually Colin Farrell doing the penguin. It is such a different version of the penguin, but it's more realistic than anything I've ever seen. He's not campy. Like we saw on the old, um, uh, Adam West Batman or, or even Tim Burton. I mean, or I thought Tim the Tim Burton, Burton version was good, yeah, but this was better. Tim Burton's version of with Danny DeVito being really creepy and weird. He was a gangster that had a gimp. He was a little rotund and he had a scar and a a pointed nose beautifully executed so well. This character was so well taken that it sounds like HBO max is actually doing a TV series on this character. Uh, The Riddler was a different take, but I enjoyed it. Um, And then Carmine uh, Falcone Falcone, man, I didn't think I'd really like this, the character. Cause I mean, it's, I can't remember the actor's name. Uh, Jonathan Tuturo. Yeah. We saw him in, you know, in Transformers. He's the fast talking Simmons from Sector 7. But man, <laughs> he pulled off Falcone in a way. I mean, traditionally, Falcone is this giant uh, Italian yeah. beast of a man. And he wasn't that. But 
didn't, he was, but he was still a monster. Yeah. He, he didn't need that. Pulled it off. Well, um, and then uh, Catwoman, I actually enjoyed. I really enjoyed the, the portrayal of the Catwoman in this one. Definitely different than what we've seen in the past, but I think a much better and more fleshed out. And, and I know because we're running out of time, I'm going to say this, and it's probably going to be weird, but I actually think this is probably my all-time favorite Batman Ooh, Ooh that's I know. big. I know, because I've always, you know, Michael Keaton's original one's always been my big one, but. I, I think this one's in my top three. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know where it is. I think it's probably a spot two, but absolutely in my top three. Yeah. I, um, I think they did that well of a job. They did. So so the final question here before we leave, because we are very, very short on time. Well, we, we are, but I still want to hit villains. I still want to hit villains. Okay, go excuse ahead. me. Krebs, please go ahead. Finish your thought and then okay. I will take my final question. Um, I absolutely agree about Falcone. I think he breathed new life into that uh into that role into that character and he made the character something that was less disposable for me and i think in the past i only cared about falcone as it brought us to other characters yeah and then we threw falcone away the penguin yes i also agree with that you you don't even recognize colin farrell in this role and they found a most clever subtle way to get him to do the penguin walk for just a short moment in one scene. I thought it was, I laughed out loud in the theater when I saw it because it was such a like slip it in to see if you notice. Um, Catwoman, uh, Zoe Kravitz surprises me. She's got chops. She's got chops as an actress. I really appreciate it. And they did things with her where they would like, whenever she was doing her job as Catwoman, not as Selena Kyle. She moved with a preciseness and a finesse. They sped her, they sped her motion up slightly, but not so much as to be comical. It gives her that feline grace and that precision. And that was excellent. And then finally, and I'm saving this one for last on purpose, Paul Dano's Riddler is the best Riddler, hands down, of any Riddler I've ever seen. If Jim Carrey is to the Riddler what Jack Nicholson was to the Joker. Paul Dano is to the Riddler what Heath Ledger was to the Joker. Yeah. And I, and I unabashedly say that. No, uh, I agree. I think Heath Ledger and Paul Dano's villains deserve to be in the same universe together because they are both so human and both so believably, or, or I'm sorry, terrifyingly believable. Mm wonderful well and, and that's the nice thing about the riddler because he's, he's you know when we saw jim carrey it was like this joke you know this was a villain that i could get behind and that's what we've seen in, in the video games and sometimes in the comics where the riddler is more dark than, yeah. and he plays these games but he, he sets up these traps and these things that actually kill people and um cause harm and that's what we saw it was beautiful cool so Knowing that we are out of time for our main topic today, I have one more question. Okay. Okay. Rapid fire. Uh, Here we go. I I need you guys to tell me how urgently I need to see this film from book the tickets the moment that we're done recording, or in the case of our friends out there, the moment you're done listening, go online and book your tickets all the way down to wait until you see it in the bargain bin or can bum off somebody else's account. Great range. So where are we at on this scale? I mean, I've already thrown mine out. Book it. Go see it now. Immediately. It yes. needs to be the next movie that you see in theaters. And it needs to be, I, I, it deserves to be seen on the big screen. Yeah. Okay. Well, Dungeon Crawlers, I think that is a pretty definitive review from the DCR team. At some point, 
I'll slip in my little 30 seconds of uh, here's what I thought after I go and see it myself, but hopefully you'll join me too. go out and, uh, you know, support your local businesses when and where you can Uh, go and enjoy the theater, have some good popcorn and some good times with friends. Uh, Stay safe wherever you are. And hopefully you and I will get to talk more about your opinions in a future episode, submit them on the discord or to our email address. You can also go to dungeoncrawlersradio.com. Thank you very much, Dan. I think it's time for you to sum up and take us out. All right. Are, are we doing any questions? Oh, we, oh, we do should Gamer do Gamerforge. Gamer we should do yeah. Gamerforge. Well, Sorry, we'll guys. keep it short, but we should yep. do Gamerforge. Do you have any questions? Or I have a couple that I can throw out. But Yeah, uh, please. Go ahead, Dan. Throw one up for me. All right. So we're going to throw some some questions out. Uh, bring the, like I said, bring the game, Gamerforge back out. Um, so this question I, I found, is it important to keep your players together in a single party or is it okay to split them up? Mm. And if so, why for either uh, argument? Uh, I would like to keep these to two minute answers. Can we do that? Yeah, yeah I, will, I will do my absolute darndest. You ready? Ready, so, steady, go. So dungeon crawlers out there, here's the thing that you need to know about splitting the party. Okay, it's very much going to depend upon the group dynamic that you have, as well as your ability as a DM or a GM. Keep in mind that a party once split often tries to remain split for multiple sessions. Okay, if you can contrive a scenario in which in a given session you can get everybody back together, usually doesn't have to be too harmful. But one of the biggest tricks to splitting a group is that it's hard to give equal attention and weight to the two stories that are trying to go on simultaneously. Now I have done it. It is hard. Uh, It can be rewarding if done very well. Um, Most notably in some of my earlier days of GMing, I had a group that ended up splitting. One side really wanted to go deep evil and she betrayed half of the party and took the other half with her. And they both went their separate ways. I ended up running two stories concurrently and ended up actually joining them up on a Saturday fighting a naval battle in which they were fighting each other and didn't realize it until three quarters of the way through the episode. That's a great mechanic. But holy cow, that was so hard to do. Um, now with an additional eight years of experience plus at this point, maybe I'd start to feel a little bit more comfortable, but we go back to the gold, silver, and bronzes of storytelling, right? And silver and platinum for that matter. Know your players, know what they like, know what it is that they're trying to get out of the story and tell the story that's worth telling. Understand if you split the party, you're going to be splitting the story. And that is very difficult to do because this is not a sitcom where you can just flip back and forth. Um, Beyond that, I wish you the best of luck. Make sure to make good notes for yourself and do everything that you can to help yourself out. But in my opinion, it is very, very difficult to split the party in a meaningful way without actually creating multiple sessions in a given gaming week. Yeah. I mean, the best advice I could give to that really is simply, you know, have you read a book where the party is split and have you enjoyed that? And what is the frustrations that you have come across? Um, I think Dragonlance, the, the, you know, the Chronicles handles that really well, but it definitely is done separately. I mean, you would have to run it as, you know, one group on one night and another group on another night to keep that separate. Otherwise you have people sitting there like tapping their fingers on, on the table. Um, Will of time, you know, same thing, <laughs> but the party and it, it's, it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're wanting to, you know, if everyone's wanting to stay together uh, and have fun together, splitting the party is not a good idea. 
Um, But if the the group is okay with that and doing different nights, because you're going to want to keep that information separate and not have people that are bored, then you can do that. But really it comes down to the party. I think that's very, I've done it both ways in the past. Very good example to reference there. The Lord of the Rings. Okay. The reason that it works to split that story up, not two, but three different ways is because each of those groups is taking on a very distinct problem in a very distinct way that fits their character and and in essence, their play style. If you tried to force them together to do the same thing, it wouldn't work. But similarly, you can't handle all of those stories in the same setting. They have to be very disparate. And if you can run your game in that way with multiple sessions and still have it meaningful and have everybody come back together at the end in a meaningful way, sure. But understand you're writing Lord of the Rings. I have very similar advice, but I am going to diverge slightly, which is to say that um, if it's okay to split the party if you're willing to pay the price. First mm. of all, my, me and my compatriots, we refer to that as Scooby-Dooing. Come on, gang, let's split up. And what happens is that you've now divided the power of the team, and it's not an even division. When you have the team together, it's, it's uh, almost... Uh, Uh, like it's multiplicative growth as opposed to summative growth, right? Is if you have four people, you're not four people strong. You're like 16 people strong, right? Uh, But that's because you can riff off of each other. You can play off of each other's decisions. You can balance each other's powers and weaknesses, right? If you split the party up, you have now lost that multiplicative benefit. So that's one thing to consider. The second thing to consider is exactly what you guys hit on, which is there's going to be a lot of dead time for the other players. Now, this can be done well, and it can even be done humorously or excitedly if you keep everybody at the same table, especially players who know how not to metagame, and you start like rapid fire going back and forth between the groups very quickly between decisions, two or three decisions on this team, two or three decisions on that team, back and forth, back and forth. You keep the jeopardy hot and high that way. But if they are so disparate that they can't know what's going on or they shouldn't know what's going on, then I would recommend two things, one of two things, either agree to split the the team up and hold two different game nights, one for each group, Or even better, if you can afford to do this, you can have a co-GM that will take the second group off who understands the story beats, who understands what's going on, and it isn't spoiled for them, and they can run that party through their quest. Maybe they're just trying to solve a puzzle. Maybe they're in a room where they can't hear other things. They have to have a conversation, and so your co-GM is just like recording the conversation, essentially. No matter how you slice it, though, make sure that all the, the, the key word here is balance. Make sure all the players feel important. Yeah. At some point I'm going to have to run a death house for you guys from curse of Strahd because I, I actually engineer a couple of different points to split the party. Um, but it's very carefully managed because of exactly all of the potential problems that we've talked about. And I have had it blow up in my face when I didn't understand what the group dynamic was or what players were looking to do. So yes, excellent advice. Um, Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll just leave it at this, this one. We'll, we'll have more questions in the future. Um, But I just, I just want to throw something out, you know, as a, as a game master or a DM, if you're ever feeling like, wow, I, I may have thrown too strong of a car- or a monster out at my guys. Just remember that the dungeon master on the D- Dungeons and Dragons cartoon threw a bunch of level one characters against Tiamat. Just remember. 
<laughs> so it's true. always going to be better. It's always going to be better than that. Um, and sometimes it's okay to give them that, that looking in the beginning. Then they have that, that fear. Um, so they're not going to kind of do some random things. But again, it's up to your it's, – it all depends on the group you're playing with. You know, test, see how, kind of talk to them, see how they're feeling, what they're trying to get out of it, and then move forward. I think we mentioned that all three of us uh, throughout what we were saying. So with that said, folks, go see the Batman. It is worth your time. Um, I'm excited for the next DC film, which is the Flash uh, film that's going to be coming out. And amazingly enough, I was surprised that there's another Aquaman movie that will be out later this year. Both of those films are coming out this year, so that's going to be exciting to see. Um, if they, if DC can keep this caliber of film in all their films, I, I, I think they can contend with Marvel. This is the turning point if it's going to be. It, yeah, I mean, I think they did really good with Wonder Woman. Um, Aquaman was okay. It wasn't amazing, but this Batman was on par with the Wonder Woman. So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. I really am, but I know Warner brothers can screw it up. They've done it before. Um, so I'm hopeful to see what happens. Uh, let us know if you have any questions, if you guys have your own gaming questions, whether it's a board game, a card game, mechanics, uh, questions about D&D or Pathfinder or even Palladium. I'll throw that out there because <laughs> we'll get all excited. Yes, please. Um, uh, or any other type of game question you have, send it our way. Email us at info at dungeoncrawlersradio.com or jump on our social media pages or our website. Send those questions to us because we want to answer your questions instead of random questions that we're finding out on the web. Um, and, and throw down your challenges to us too. Oh, yeah. You need us to spice up Candyland for you and your six-year-old, you know, uh, maybe yeah. we're not your guys, but we'll do our best. Hey, you can spice up Candyland. I've got you stories go. about that. I know, but I'm trying to leave that out there as a tantalizing <laughs> tidbit, Dan. Come on. You easy. know, you can play it with brownies. Just saying. Brownies and Starburst. So anyway. adding fairies to things. Yeah. <laughs> Evil gummy bears. Ooh, yeah. No, we got ways. Anyways. So with that said, folks. Uh, we want to hear from you. We'll have more news. Hope you like the, the new format. Let us know what your thoughts are. And with that said, we'll catch you next time. Dungeon Crawlers, thank you for being here this evening. And go tell your story, whatever may come. And whether you decide to stick together or Scooby-Doo your party apart, always remember to be epic and don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you always. 